Hello and welcome to Mortgage Insider from Barclays, the podcast series that delves into the biggest challenges facing the mortgage-breaking industry. I'm Tony Rimmer, a Business Development Manager from the Northwest. And I'm Claire McPhail, a Business Development Manager in the Southeast. We've been quiet for the last couple of months, Tony and I. We've been juggling homeschooling and the pressures of being a BDM over the last couple of months. So, Tony, from you, sort of, how's it been for you and what are you hearing from your brokers? Uh, well, OK, it's a great question, Claire. I think it's been a, an interesting last few months for, for us all, really, looking to try and juggle and balance not only our normal day jobs, uh, as we would do as a BDM, speaking with brokers and looking after that side of things. But I think, um, without a doubt, a totally new experience for me with homeschooling, um, balancing that with the needs of the children, uh, putting the odd meal on the table uh, as well. But I think, uh, you know, certainly that that has been the challenge. But, you know, really, really good, I think, from, from a lot of respects, having to spend more time with the children. And brokers have been really busy balancing their, their workload with, um, you know, similarly looking after their own families and children and dealing with the, the homeschooling. But, you, you know, really a huge sigh of relief now that, uh, that the children are back and being able to try and get back to some normality. So as expected, the Chancellor announced the stamp duty holiday will be extended by three months, much to most of my brokers' absolute joy. Um, they certainly have been under extreme pressure trying to feel like they've been working towards this March the 31st deadline. So um, they're really pleased in the main that, that they've heard that that is extended. In this episode, we're looking at some of the detail examining how buyers will benefit and what will happen when it really does end. We spoke to Sean Randall, a chartered tax advisor at Blick Rothenberg and a leading stamp duty expert. Hi, Sean. Welcome. Hi, Sean. Thanks for joining us today. That's my pleasure. Thanks. So we're going to jump straight in. Sean, if that's OK, can you talk us through some of the detail of what was announced recently in the budget and what that actually means for buyers? Yeah, thanks, Tony. So, look, so far as relevant... To the audience, uh, what was announced was mostly as expected um, or as trailed in the newspapers, which is that um, the first £500,000 tax break for stamp duty, so the first 500000 of the purchase price, will not be taxed to stamp duty before the deadline uh, for that uh, falling away was the 1st of April, and now we've been given a three-month extension to the 1st of July. So that part was expected, um, as I mentioned before, but what wasn't expected was an additional stamp duty holiday, a half holiday, if you like, in the sense that that nil rate band, the first 500,000, well, it will reduce to 250,000. So the first 250,000 of the purchase price will no longer be taxed after 1st of July until the 1st of October. Now, the first stamp duty holiday, the one that's in force at the moment, is worth a maximum of £15,000 per purchase dwelling. If you buy two dwellings or more, then uh, you're doubling the stamp duty holiday or the benefits. Understandably, people are referring to this second stamp duty holiday as being a half holiday. That's tempting, of course, because the threshold is half the 500000 at 250000 but the actual tax break isn't worth much less than half of 15,000. It's actually worth only 2,500. So for us here, we have seen 
you know, busier times than ever recorded before. And everybody was working to this deadline of the end of March. So now that they have these extensions, they're almost like sort of little mini cliff edges. Can you explain a little bit more, I suppose, about any impact that this is going to have, any other impact that you see? Yeah, so look, with, with any stamp duty holiday, um, it produces a surge of transactions. It brings forward those transactions that people would otherwise have done uh, later in the year forward. That creates you know, quite a logjam. And then as soon as the stamp duty holiday ends, well, then there's a, a drop in activity and that's the cliff edge. So, you know, uh, this, this is inevitable with a stamp duty holiday. And um, for those with long memories, uh, there was another stamp duty holiday in 2008, 2009 with the same kind of problem. So people envisaged when this was announced last year that there would be a drop or a cliff edge um, at the end of March with a sudden drop of um, transactions going through. Uh, and that was, you know, I guess the, the prediction caused by uh, A, the loss of st the stamp duty holiday, B, the restrictions on um, help to buy, C, a loss in confidence caused possibly by unemployment, um, you know, to do with the COVID restrictions and the impact so those three things combined would have caused some drop in the level of um, transaction activity for sure. And instead, now we have an extension and, and a slight taper. By that, I mean uh, people won't lose everything uh, on the 1st of July. They will still get some break, at least on the first 250,000. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, for us working with all of our brokers, will that help them prepare more for their clients now that we have these two steps almost in the in the stamp duty holiday that's going to be? Well, I, th I think, you know, for the transactions which are under 250,000, there is much more time now. Um, clearly, they can complete before the 1st of October without losing any um, tax break. But you know, how many transactions are at that level? Possibly quite few. I mean, the average house price in, I guess, half the region, half the country rather, is above 250,000. So there is still going to be enormous pressure on people to complete before the 1st of July. I think that's inevitable. And whereas, um, you know, this was, uh, you know, going to help people already in the system, the fact that there is another three-month extension will you know tempt new entrants to buying houses and entering the system which might you know cause more of a logjam i think you're right sean and i think if i look at myself i would probably class myself as an eternal optimist sean in in many things but for every optimist there's a, i suppose an equal pessimist looking at a similar situation i guess looking at the rationale for this you've, you've touched upon some of it already but is, is this purely just to try and prevent a market crash? And in some ways, are we just delaying the inevitable and moving it now three and six months further down the line? Good question, Tony. So it, it's really tempting to view the holiday as uh, a stimulus in preventing a crash, for sure. Um, and it does have that effect, you know, it does encourage uh, people entering the system, bringing forward transactions. It's not the only reason why people uh, are buying houses. You know, people are 
placing more emphasis on outside space, um, longer commutes, you know, the possibility of working from home more often. But yes, you know, this has been a real pull. Uh, but what isn't talked about so much, I think, is the fact that this was introduced as part of the jobs package. And really, I think the intended effect, and you know, the Chancellor's made this pretty clear, I think, actually, is that he's trying to uh, prevent uh, unemployment in those sectors which are aligned with a healthy housing market. So estate agents, mortgage brokers, home retail, all those sectors. And for sure, those, uh, those sectors have benefited from a, a healthy housing market. But just as there is a, a positive ripple effect caused by the holiday, well, inevitably, there will be a negative ripple effect as the number of transactions falls away, possibly after the 1st of July. So, so, so thank you for that, George. So, so to take that a step further then, if we look perhaps later into the year, in, in, into the autumn, uh, and I know it's very difficult, we don't have a crystal ball to sort of look at these things in, in its entirety, but do, do you envisage that, that it will have an impact then further down the line when, it, when we come to the end of September, October, coming into the winter months again? Is, is, it, is it going to have the opposite effect on perhaps the industries that you've just described? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm not a housing market uh, commentator per se, um, but there are obvious signs that there's going to be a lot of pressure on transaction activity later in the year. So the combination of the extension of furlough and the extension of the stamp duty holiday is definitely going to prevent a softening of the market. It's going to be uh, a busy time for sure, the next three months. Uh, what will happen after the 1st of July and particularly after the 1st of October probably is going to be dependent most on the extent to which we've got unemployment, I think. I mean, there's the biggest uh, pull factor in, in bringing down house prices and, and reducing the number of transactions, I think, is a loss of confidence and in the economy. So um, provided that, you know, the Chancellor has done enough to protect jobs generally, well, there will be some softening of the housing market for sure. Uh, that's inevitable with the loss of a stamp duty holiday. Um, but hopefully there won't be a significant drop in house prices. Yeah, okay, because they are technically artificially high at the moment, aren't they? They've been artificially pushed into a much higher level. So, you know, I guess whether you, having been around in the industry for 25, 30 years, as you said, we've seen this type of thing before where we've had other schemes in place and then we've seen the opposite rebound effect come down, haven't we? So I think that's going to be going to be one, one to watch for the future. Yeah, I mean, look, that's absolutely true. The house prices or the average house price has increased by £15,000 so far over the course of the holiday, um, which, you know, coincidentally, I think, correlates to the maximum stamp duty benefits that can be obtained by the holiday. But what it does show, as you've exactly pointed out, Tony, is that this this surge in transactions has produced a bit of a, a peak in house prices. Um, and actually, it shows that one of the, the people who benefit from this actually isn't the buyers, it's the sellers. With house prices going up, um, then obviously, you know, <laughs> sellers of houses are are benefiting too. Sean, linking that into the wider economy, 
So set out in the budget, you know, we've seen some plans to change corporation tax, corporate taxes increasing to 25% in 2023. You've already mentioned about the furlough scheme, sort of another support measures. How do you see that fitting into potentially how it's going to affect the, the market going forward? Okay, well, look, I think it, it ties in in the sense that understandably during this time, this uncertain time, the the priority should be to help uh, people and to protect jobs. And to that extent, you know, all those sectors which are aligned with a healthy housing market will benefit uh, in the sense that, you know, it's going to stimulate activity and indirectly, therefore, they will benefit. There will be this ripple effect or continue to be a, a ripple effect. But as we come out of lockdown, as furlough ends, well, then these um, economic uh, stimulants, if you like, these protective devices uh, will be taken away. And uh, stamp duty is just one of those, I think. Just to link to that, um, that you talked about there, can you talk us perhaps through some of the challenges that, because you sort of touched around the edges of, of this a little bit, Sean, already, but some of the challenges that stamp duty have created in the house buying process. Um, solicitors, you've got valuers within the process, you've got land registry. How is everybody dealing with those changes and, and what, what perhaps do they need to consider? Yeah, I mean, the, the surge in transactions uh, that this has pro- produced uh, in the run-up, in the anticipation of the holiday ending at the end of March has been astonishing. And uh, you only need to look at some of the social media where you'll see that conveyances, at least those on the ground, are, without exaggeration, close to breaking point in terms of the number of hours they're working and the the pressure that was on them, at least, to complete before the end of March. They really were and and continue to be um, affected by this. And, uh, uh, you know, this is going to help them to some extent, but there will be significant pressure, particularly in the South, and the southeast in London, for example, where the average house price is way in excess of 250,000. So conveyances in the regions uh, in the north of England, for example, where they've probably got an easier time. They've got a longer uh, stamp duty break until the 1st of October. Um, there'll be less pressure on them. But conveyances in, this, in London and in the southeast, I think, are probably looking ahead with um, a bit of dread at uh, what was the end uh, in sight, no longer is. So, Sean, just linking into that, um, is there a potential issue there with um, reclaims and redress as a result of what's uh, what's going on? Good question, Tony. So, uh, understandably, there's enormous pressure on conveyances to just, you know, doing their job. And on top of that, they're being expected to apply some pretty complicated rules on stamp duty. I mean, if I find it challenging sometimes, and this is all I do and have done for 20 years, then how, with all respect, a residential property lawyer can um, understand, uh, you know, and apply some of these rules is, is, is frankly astonishing. It's impossible, really. Uh, so mistakes are happening and conveyances are struggling. Uh, the system is, uh, it's, it's not working very well very often. And some of the occasions when the rules are complex are actually very simple or ostensibly really simple uh, fat patterns. Um, so, you know, in, in no particular order, we have this very complicated regime for the 3% surcharge. We'll have an additional 
2% surcharge regime coming in, which is actually pretty complicated, particularly for corporate buyers. Then we've got particular rules where more than five dwellings are purchased in a single transaction. We've got particular rules where um, the purchased property is mixed or is part of a mixed portfolio. And then we've got particular rules for a corporate buyer buying a, a dwelling worth more than 500,000 um, and particular reliefs needing to be claimed if the purchase is made for qualifying business act purposes. So it's very complicated and um, and there's enormous pressure, not only on conveyances to get it right, but also uh, within budgets. And there's a huge pressure on margins too. So I'm hugely sympathetic to conveyances and uh, I can't see this this issue getting much better. There's, there is guidance available, but it's very generic. And um, it doesn't apply in perfectly in all fact patterns. And sometimes it's a little bit out of date or it's the the nuances are lost uh, because it is generic. Um, and conveyances just have to do what they can do. And unfortunately, um, on occasions, mistakes are being made and, and reclaim firms are taking advantage of this by making unsolicited approaches to buyers um, saying that stamp duty has been overpaid. Sean, the tax, the 2% stamp duty, that's this land tax surcharge for non-UK residents that's going to be introduced shortly. I mean, I don't understand that. What What is that? And how is that going to work? Okay, great question. So a lot of talk clearly, understandably, has been about the holiday. But um, you're right, Claire. Um, on the 1st of April, there will be an additional 2% surcharge. So this will apply on top of the already existing 3% surcharge for additional dwellings. So this applies or will apply to non-residents, whether they're companies or individuals. And um, these, at least for individuals, this is a new test. So even if an individual is regarded as resident for income tax, uh, that isn't necessarily conclusive for this. So for stamp duty, we will have our own uh, residence test, which is based on the number of days present uh, in the UK. So I'll explain. If, if someone completes on the 1st of April, in order to determine whether they are resident for stamp duty, they need to look back in the one year period uh, before completion and work out how many days they were in the UK at midnight uh, in that one year period. And if they were in the UK at midnight for at least 183 days, so roughly half a year, then they'll be deemed to be UK resident and will not have to pay the surcharge. If they're not, if they haven't been present in the UK, any part of the UK, not just England and Northern Ireland, of course, then they will have to pay the surcharge. But there is a possibility of reclaiming that 2% uh, if they become UK resident. So what that means is now you have to cast a two-year window spanning completion, so one year before and one year after completion, then find a period, a 365-day period, within which the individual has been resident in the UK at midnight for 183 days or more. So it gets quite complicated. Individuals will need to count how many days they were resident before completion and add those to the number of days they are resident after completion. And as soon as you've totaled 183 days 
within a 365 day period, then they can reclaim that 2% surcharge. Sean, this is slightly um, going off track to the rest of our podcast that we will have done, but but I'm really interested just to find out your views in regards to applicants that maybe are looking to purchase properties. It, typically, it's a parent maybe helping a grown-up child onto the housing market, and they go down the view of, of doing a mortgage potentially what's called joint borrower sole proprietors. So maybe the grown-up child or whoever one person is on the deeds and maybe a parent is is helping for affordability. Just just what your views are on that and, and whether you think that's a, sometimes a, a good way forward for people in regards to stamp duty. Okay, so, yeah, I do see this. It's quite, quite relevant and quite topical. So understandably, given the average house price is so high, the bank of mum and dad uh, frequently help their children uh, get onto the, the housing ladder. Um, and the way in which the 3% surcharge for additional dwellings works is hard-edged. So it's all or nothing. So if there are more than one buyer, if there is more than one buyer, then a single buyer that meets the conditions will infect the transaction and cause the 3% surcharge to apply in full. So if a, a, a parent who owns clearly their, their own home uh, is purchasing a share of uh, a property which is intended to be lived in by their child, then regardless of the parent's share that's being purchased, um, so it might be 1% share, it might be half a percent share, whatever, then uh, the 3% surcharge would apply in full. Now, some lenders are prepared to accept for the parents to be on the title, so their income is taken into account for affordability without the surcharge applying because they would hold their share in the property being purchased on trust for their child. So legally they're on the title, um, but beneficially their, their share of the purchased property, their share of the property that is really in, is bought by the, the child is held on trust for um, the child. And so for stamp duty, you ignore in those circumstances the parent's share and the surcharge doesn't apply, yet hopefully the parent's income is taken into account for affordability. Yeah. And just, and this is again for my own knowledge and, and for brokers out there, I think, it, if, if you have a couple who are looking to purchase, a married couple, for instance, trying to purchase, who were looking to do that option as well, would they still get that benefit? Not unless they're not living together. So <laughs> married couples are effectively treated as one economic unit. So really good question, Claire. Um, in this case, unfortunately, stamp duty uh, penalises marriage by treating uh, a, a married couple or a couple in civil partnership to be effectively one buyer, regardless of, of one spouse or civil partner, you know, buying legally. So that idea of the other spouse or civil partner um, buying a share of the property and holding it on bare trust for the other doesn't work um, because both spouses or civil partners are treated as one effectively. That's good. That clears that up for me and probably some others as well. Thank you very much, Sean. Wonderful. Thank you very much for that, Sean. Appreciate your insight. That's my pleasure. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Tony. That was Sean Randall from Blick Rothenberg. 
The views expressed by our external guests in this podcast are their opinions only and do not reflect the views of Barclays. If you have any questions you would like to ask the experts, then please email us at mortgageinsider at acast.com. And please do subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Tony Rimmer. And I'm Claire McPhail. Thanks for listening.